Hi, I'm Michael Goff, Principal Product Marketing for Software Monetization here at Revenera. The podcast you're about to listen to was recorded by Revulytics, which is now a part of Revenera. Rest assured that while the names may have changed, the conversations are still meaningful and relevant. Our guests have some great insights to share, so stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 14 of the Piracy Impact Podcast from Revulytics. I'm Michael Goff. And I'm Jason Swan. Jason, it's another good one this week. We've yeah. got another very special guest. Who do we have this week? We have a lot of special people in our lives, but we have Vic DeMarines. I'm feeling special. <laughs> and since he's already here, I think we can forego the usual banter <laughs> that the fans love so much and Absolutely. just jump right into it. So, Vic, thank you for joining us. You bet. We're happy to have you. I feel special. So, Vic, <laughs> I think most people know, but you're our VP of Product and Strategy here at Revulytics. But uh, maybe tell us a little bit more about your background before we jump into the good stuff. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, prior to Revulytics and VI Labs, pre- previous to that, um, really was focused in the security space, I would say. I, my product management uh, foundation was more around security and uh, had some stints at Athenica and then Progress and RSA prior to coming here with Joe Noonan, actually, and starting up the VI Labs business. Our CEO. Our CEO. And the VI Labs business stayed in that same genre, correct? Yeah, and we approached it, you know, originally as a, an application security, um, you know, solution and technology. And so, yeah, my, my, my security interests were, were certainly there. And it certainly evolved into something else, though, something very different than, I think, security in the security space. And what triggered that? Really customer feedback and our own sort of, uh, you know, uh, understanding of the technology that we started with, which was really a prototype uh, around doing application security. And it got us into the space. We didn't approach it as piracy was the the main thing we were going to target. We were looking at all the risks for applications. We were looking at uh, voting systems that were at risk for tampering. We were looking at uh, military software that had issues around uh, protecting from foreign countries. And piracy was just another threat vector that we took a look at. But as we went to the market, of course, and that's where you cut your teeth, um, the real response that we got from customers and specifically software companies was around piracy. And that really started our our development and our understanding of of that market and 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 obviously there was a a longer story there for how we kind of pivoted into really the compliance intelligence space so started out with software protection but then moved into a detection strategy talk a little bit more about that because you know obviously conversations with customers drove a lot of that but what were they saying that really pushed you to make that big pivot yeah and and there was kind of two different threads going on here there was Certainly customers who were initially interested in protecting and as they started to test our security and and our approach, there was a lot of complexities around wrapping an application, especially a desktop application that's got to run on thousands of desktops and environments that you you don't trust and make sure it works with that. Uh, There were certainly challenges there, but even when we got through those challenges, and you got to the point where, hey, you know, we're, we're thinking of buying into this strategy. Let me bring it up to my, my management, to my, my senior team to get funding. And then you would start hearing questions like, 
well, if, if this were to work and we were to stop piracy, what happens with our competitor market? You know, uh, because there's this belief that piracy led to viral adoption of the software and more business. Sure. You know, who's really using this stuff? All these questions that weren't really around, you know, protection per se, but what's happening in the market? Yeah. So there's obviously a clear gap of intelligence there for, for around the, the, the vendors and their piracy problem. So what drove the adoption then? Because you're mentioning many things now, right? You're talking yeah. about software protection, you're talking about monetization, concerns about competition. What are the biggest triggers, I guess, in those early years of which vendors adopted and what they were truly after? Well, and we had, I think, done a very good job with a very small team to focus in on some companies that certainly had what we saw, and, and, and we were learning this as we were going, a huge piracy risk. So one of the triggers were we would go out into the market and we'd, we'd understand, hey, here are these piracy groups, they're, they're targeting these very high value applications, not just the Adobe's and the Microsoft's of the world, but all the companies out there that were engaged in higher value software. And we said, well, that's, that's really interesting. If, if there's that much software being distributed that is pirated and can be used for free, there should be a high risk for revenue and a high need for kind of solutions that are going to prevent that actually. And so we started to do these piracy assessments and we started to build our knowledge base around the cracker groups and the different methodologies that companies were going to try to stop that, 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 that issue. Um, and then we would present that analysis to these companies to really get into the front door and have a discussion. So that's certainly one of the triggers that led to us focusing in on the, the bigger software companies. Uh, and then as we started to educate th them, and a lot of those companies in those days really didn't understand that this was a, you know, another channel, another way that software is distributed to customers and prospects and non-active customers. And so once we got through that education, then it got into strategy. You know, what is the next step? And that's where I think most of those companies had a, a you know, a gap of knowing who's actually using the software and wanted to start with trying to monitor that and trying to understand that. Yeah, there's a lot of myths. I mean, Michael yeah. and I hear them. We've done a number of these podcasts with customers and intellectual property law firms, and we hear a lot about folks think that piracy is only happening in underdeveloped countries. It's only happening in you know small, one-off consultant uh, situations, students, EDU. But in reality, once you have a strategy and you start to uncover, you see that it's actually everywhere and it's very pervasive in your customer base and high value prospects. Yep. Yep. And also sort of interesting, you know, talk a little bit more about that mindset of being sort of um, that detection strategy. You want to stop things, right? You want to prevent piracy to what it took to get people to take a more proactive approach and... Yeah. You know, I, and I, I think the other kind of lesson, it also depended who you talked to within these companies. So if you were talking to the engineering team or you're talking to the licensing sure. team, um, and we had to be, you know, when we started to present this assessment, one of their initial reactions, and this was in the early days, we wanted that, right, was, well, how do we stop that, right? How do we, how do we protect that? And that would lead into the protection uh, process. But then as we realized this business opportunity with trying to uncover who was actually using this and trying to identify that from a, a compliance program type perspective, those same individuals maybe is where you wanted to start or you wanted to have them in the discussion, but you also wanted to have more 
the sales or the business leadership of that, that product company in there because really you wanted to understand first who was using that and then determine what the strategy was to then either monetize it or prevent it or a combination of, of those type of things. Yeah, because where is that line? There's a line someplace that says too much protection is now hampering my legitimate customers versus coming off the protection and allowing piracy. I'm sure every software vendor has their own line, but you know, what's the recommendation or, or how do you talk through that? Yeah, and that, that, that's certainly one of the challenges that I think still today uh, are uh, challenging companies when they implement enforcement and licensing. And we had it with protection as well, because if you're talking large scale software vendor business, you cannot have too much enforcement without the impact of customer support calls and non-scaling your business. And in fact, we see today it's it's the absolute opposite. Companies are trying to figure out how do we uh, remove that enforcement and allow software to be more used and distributed by our customers, and then maybe true up at the end of the at the end of the day. And that's certainly not going to allow you to do a whole lot of technology enforcement or what we call digital rights management. Um, so there's that balance, and, and certainly the higher value software tended to go toward a more protective, sometimes even a hardware-based you know, type dongle system. But um, you know, as we see today, I think most companies are looking for more flexibility. Uh, but uh, that challenge uh, or that balance was one of the key issues that actually moved us from a protection to more the intelligence and the monetization because there was no way that you could protect your software. There was no absolute protection yeah. in the space. It wasn't security. It was digital rights management. And we could see the trend of companies trying to move to a more flexible way to license their products. Yeah. And as you move along this journey with these prospects that you've engaged through the years, what's the recommendation on what to track? Yeah, in, in terms of what kind of information to collect or, or well, you more just, of your products? Yeah, or Well, you just talked briefly there about, um, you know, a true-up strategy, a monetization business strategy. Mm-hmm. You've kind of decided where your protection line is going to be, and now you've got a program maybe you're yep. going to institute. So how do you go about that? Yeah, I, I think customers have been more receptive initially to certainly – Let's go out and detect the what we call the overt piracy, the, the, where the software is being tampered with or a, a license key is not valid and being used. Let's focus first on detecting that because they're more comfortable with you know, aspects of privacy or more comfortable with their customer base accepting that if we just focus on that scenario. And that gave them a good reason for them to, to start with a product, maybe one of the more uh, high-producing products from a license perspective, and start to you know report and see what kind of data was there, and as the evolution of the of, of that company started to see the impact of that, of course, and maybe even have a very mature compliance program go after that, then they start to look at well, what else can we collect? Can we open that up? Can we do more products? Certainly. Mm-hmm. Can we maybe look at all use because there's conditions of non-compliance that have nothing to do with what we call over piracy? It might be just overuse, and so they start exploring additional methodologies to report, and even what kind of data, even additional data, once they got comfortable with their program and their customers uh, also were comfortable with it. Or I should say, you know, they were able to, you know, have that discussion and, and implement the technology with their customers. And, and fair to say in the early days, 
we did get a little bit <clears throat> of pushback on collecting data in the first place. You want to talk a little bit about that and sort of that? Yeah, that's talk, true. You mentioned right. privacy. Yeah, we're um, talking 2008, right, right, when we first implemented um, the, the tracking capability. And, and I, I think immediately when we started introducing it was all the questions, well, you can't do it. You can't collect data because it's not legal to do that. It's... Uh, uh, it's even in those days, you know, privacy doesn't allow us to collect that. And there was a lot of myths, and and certainly everyone was kind of replaying that challenge. And we went and worked with a lot of legal counsels, and of course there were customers that were doing this not with our technology. They had implemented their own, and we learned why they were able to do it, and how you would you know uh, document this within your end user license uh, agreement, or how you would discuss this uh, with your customers. And so um, we got. I think educated in terms of what those objections were, what the solutions for them, and you are certainly able to track um, track uh, you know non-compliant use of your of your product and even use of your product if you had those consent and you also uh, consent sort of uh, uh, built into the product and also the EULA description uh, telling you what you collected and then with GDPR we can talk about that as well but GDPR I think helped put a little bit more definition around um, vendors' need or legitimacy for collecting this information. So I think that actually helped. Yeah, so for our, for our listeners, uh, GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation. The European Union in May of 2018 uh, enacted this this law, which, which changed a lot of behavior in the marketplace. Yep. So can you give us a little sense of pre-GDPR to post-GDPR and how software vendors react yeah, to that? Yeah, you know, you know, pre-GDPR, we had our recommendations, right, th- working through legal counsel and, and, and has actually our customers' uh, legal counsel as well. We had the end-user license agreement nicely wrapped with some examples on how you should discuss that. Every vendor, for the most part, had in their install scripts, you know, you need to accept this terms of agreement. And then in there would be the anti-piracy technology in the discussion. And then uh, pre-GDPR, you know, we started to hear sort of the rumblings, you know what, uh, personally identifiable information could be an IP address. Well, we got really concerned about that because the IP address is such an important piece of information to be collected. And we started to do our own research. We brought in uh, some outside uh, help, the pe- people that were familiar with implementing um, and assessing GDPR risk. And as we got closer to the regulations, we actually started to get a little bit more comfortable. Okay, you know, they started to talk about fraud and collecting data to ensure the compliance to your contracts and also to make sure there's not fraud going on. And that's legitimate interest. And that didn't require consent. And it also paved the way for, you know, you have to minimize your data. But, you know, for compliance, of course, you need to know who's doing this. So you have to collect information that could help you identify the account. And as long as you're disclosing that, and being upfront about that and making sure that you're only using it for that purpose, you know, we got comfortable with that positioning, started to test it with our customers, and they sort of, you know, validated that. And that's, I think, paved the way for a more, um, you know, for lessening, I guess, the concerns around this type of technology being used in the product. Yeah, so GDPR really solidified for the global marketplace that if fraud was identified, then you could have this sort of program in place and be right. able to track the things you need yep. to figure out who's um, who's stealing your software right. or overusing. Right, and disclose it, of and course, disclose it. right? So you've been at this for a while. Uh, you A little bit. You just said 2008. I'm, 
Dick and I actually actually go way back. We go back to the Authentica days. Oh, goodness. Yeah, so the old DRM days, the protection days. There's no gray in your hair, yeah. No, no, there was not that. (laughs) We won't talk about cause and effect on what's giving me gray hair, but, you know, you think what you'd like. Um, But you've obviously seen a lot. Um, You and Jason were both in Paris this past fall. We had a customer conference. What really shocked you or surprised you about sort of the tone of that event or the types of conversations that people are having now? And, and would you have anticipated that when we first got started in this? Well, I, cer- I think we certainly saw the need for it uh, because, you know, we, you and I had done some events prior to that. And they were more education events or prospecting, you know, bring prospects in to talk about piracy or talking about the solutions. Probably in a conference room in Waltham and not Paris? Yeah, not Paris. <laughs> San Jose. California. We, San Jose. Uh, we, we did, in the early days, it was it was more around education. And, and then as we, you know, so, saw that the marketplace got educated around intelligence, there was this growing opportunity to get people together to talk about, well, what do you do with this data? But there were some challenges that we constantly were, you know, when we come up with an idea, how do we get these customers together? You know, well, they don't want to talk with amongst, you know, these people don't want to talk about their, you know, uh, with their competitors necessarily, their program. So that got in a way. But I, as, I, as our own understanding of compliance programs, as Jason and his team are building out those partnerships with the, the, the different geographies and the different partners, and we were collaborating, and when I say we, my, uh, my data team and, and then the company were collaborating with customer compliance programs constantly around data and, and how to approach the, you know, the uh, uh, you know, infringers with that data. It just felt like there was this groundswell, this opportunity to have an event. So I was certainly excited about the Paris event, and you know, I was worried about who would be able to meet there and talk and talk about their programs, or if they showed up, would they talk at all? Was it more you know, listening to, you know, our partners and not being, you know, interacting with that. And so at the event itself to see sort of that ad hoc discussion going on, the sidebars, the interest in not only the data, but the technology, we had a lot of great discussions about, and we knew it was going to happen, like, hey, how do we get more leads? You know, what, what are the things that we need to do? And so there was a discussion in the background about that, as well as learning, what do you do in Brazil or what do you do in China? So I, I was... I was very surprised or certainly happy to see the discussion, uh, you know. Yeah, very different from the early days of can we do it to how do we do it better. How do we do it better and, and not feeling so stovepiped about the program, sharing some of the results you Yeah, had. can I learn from my competition? Right. Like there, was, right. there was competitors talking about how do you lift these programs and do it collectively. Right. And, you know, going back to the early days, you know, we certainly did some work with what was then the EDA consortium. And, yep. and that was actually an interesting example of competitors getting together to talk about the problem of piracy in that space. That's right. right. Um, and, you know, and you spoke earlier about you know, high-value software vendors and things like that. Do you see more of that taking place now or a possibility for that? Yeah, I think uh, unlike the, the, the EDA council, it was really built around licensing and then piracy was added to it. I think this whole, when we look at well, what do you do with the data and the compliance and vendors getting together to talk about it, I think there's a new opportunity to do that. And so I think we can certainly build on that. Um, and I think it's going to be needed because this is, it can be complex. Uh, building your program, depending on where you're starting, how big you are as a company, where you're seeing the data coming from. Um, you know, I'd like to say that that's a very, a very simple process, but it turns out to be, you know, 
you got to navigate it, right? Sure. Every software vendor is, you know, a little different culturally. Yeah. You know, staff. How they sell their software. Yeah, staff. Right? Do they dedicate? How do they license it? There's a lot of good discussion there. So, without naming names, Vic, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep a little bit of confidentiality around here, but um, just, just between us, just between <laughs> us, <laughs> and this big mic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, what crazy stories do you have from from your years of doing this? And you know, interesting, funny, surprising. Crazy stories. Hmm. Um, yeah, without naming names, I, I guess I, I just this, I don't know why this comes to the top of my head, but in the early days, you know, when we had to do this education around piracy, we would have to go out and obtain the software, right? And I would have to create um, when we're you know it's just a smaller team there these anonymous sort of emails, and we had to pick names and stuff like that, and. We have to set up Western Union accounts, and it was very difficult to do that. Because right, to understand a, the threat right. factors. Yeah. Yeah, and I actually was able to establish an account, um, and, it, and it turned out to be part of my name, but not the complete part of my name, and uh, to, to you know pay these pirates in Western Union money and sounds get the risky. software. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it sounds pretty risky. It was pretty, but you know, when you have to move quickly and give customers answers, you, you do these type of things in the early days. And remember in the, the early days. <laughs> and then uh, my daughter actually went on a, a on a trip to Japan, and we thought we gave her enough money. That was stupid, right? We should have assumed that she needed more money. And I got this call, and it was it was like I think it was like two a.m. at night. She's dad, I'm out of money, and I need money. Can you send me money? Well, how do you do that? Well, Western Union. <laughs> well, I have an account, <laughs> and I so I went. I, I was pretty proud. I had this account, and I sent her money. But I forgot the whole thing where I changed the name. And one of the things you need to do at the counter was... Authentic. Actually, yeah. this happened during the day, actually. this I get, say, oh, yeah, I have a way of doing this. I'll send you money. The 2 a.m. call came when she's at the booth. And that they won't give me the money. And then I remember what the alias was. So I had to give the alias <laughs> name. That was, had nothing to do with the business. No, the that. cloak and dagger days, though. <laughs> it's, can I call that blurred lines? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Well, and actually, one of your more popular blog posts is is a very old one talking about you know sort of how piracy happens, and you know, yeah. one of the groups in particular, again, no names will mention because one of the reasons why we still get a lot of traffic to that is because we did mention the name and people searching for cracked software. Of from course, that are the in front, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There needs to be an update to that too. I think we got to maybe in the future do another software piracy report because the. It's changed quite a bit, and it's still there, but it's it's gone underground. It's not as prevalent in the old days where you had the scene and uh, the, the the big torrent sites. And a lot of them been taken down. There's a few out there. You know, you got to look carefully to see the stuff. But I, I think it warrants probably an update. So breaking news: we've heard it here first. Vic has committed to update his blog article. Uh, well, that involved a lot of work from you, if you remember. <laughs> a lot of research for that one. Yeah. Um, Anything you'd like to close with? Anything you'd like to share? No, well, I, I think there's a, as we look at the business today and we have we have smaller companies that are starting to get into it, which is exciting. We have larger companies who have been into it, start to expand their pro, their, their uh, programs. Um, and, and of course, we're in the usage space as well, like the usage intelligence around software. And, and you're just seeing this transition now of companies that have been traditionally desktop trying to leverage the web. So... You know, from a, a 
all the compliance experience that we've had, one of the things that we've been able to do is been able to take data and map it to your accounts. And I think that's such a valuable thing. And when we look at usage intelligence, it's all about how do your end users use the software themselves. And these gaps are gonna come together. And we believe that we're in a good position to do that. I think it's still early times for that, but in the future, software companies need to be much more in touch with how people are using their software. Um, and they have to compete at the feature level and they have to track at the feature level and they have to map it to their customers. And of course, we see that playing into what we did in compliance intelligence, what we're doing with usage intelligence. So it's gonna be a very different solution as years come, but that, that telemetry is gonna drive a lot of good decisions. Yeah, data is everywhere. Yeah. And you know, the more companies can use it to help out their customers, the better off they yeah. are. So, great. Well, thanks for joining us, Vic. Thanks, Vic. Thanks, guys. So this has been episode number 14. Oh, something it's very, else? It's a very special episode. Yeah, it's a very special episode. <laughs> They're all very special episodes. Vic. This is our 14th special person. Yes, this has been episode number 14 of the Piracy Impact podcast from Revulinics with your hosts, Jason Swan, and me, Michael Goth. Very special thanks to our very special guest, Vic DeMarines, for joining us. And thank you for listening. And we'd like to wish you a happy holidays and new year and a lot of success in 2020. And also, we appreciate you subscribing to and rating this podcast wherever you listen. Adding a rating and review helps other software license compliance professionals find our podcast. You can also continue the conversation on social media, where you won't find Vic. Exactly. <laughs> but please follow us on Twitter, at Revulytics, and share your comments and questions with hashtag PiracyImpact. You can also learn more about Revulytics and how we've supported customers' compliance programs generate more than $2.4 billion in new license revenue since 2010 at com. Hi, this is Michael Goff again. Thank you for listening. And as a reminder, this podcast was recorded by Revulytics, which is now a part of Revenera. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed today or software monetization in general, please reach out to us at www.revenera.com.